Thank you, Angela. That's beautiful. Today's scripture comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verse 1 through 8. It's the NIV version. Manna and quail. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if, we, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that we should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, church, good morning. and welcome to those online. Hello to you. It is a pleasure to be in worship with you here today. Do want to take time uh, before we get to the sermon proper. Just a quick reminder that uh, we do have these next coming weeks some more talks after church about the denominational decisions that we are uh, need to decide for our church. So just a reminder that today, right after church, about uh, 11:45, we'll start a, a presentation. This will be a presentation on what it might mean for our church if we went independent and maybe some of the things that we would go through. Uh, we'll have our guest speaker, Reverend Tim Bias, uh, sorry, I said Tim Bias, Tim Burden, that is, uh, come and be with us. We also do have uh, July 24th next week. We'll be talking the same thing, but with the focus on the Global Methodist Church, the new denomination that started. And then I do want to mention to you, on August 14th, we have that comeback and the talk date. I do want to mention to you that uh, we have a time for that now. And uh, what we're going to do is actually do kind of what we did that first talk, is we're going to come uh, and we're going to have service on a Sunday morning. And then uh, immediately afterwards, we're going to do some food downstairs, expect some pizza and salads this time. And then afterwards, about 1230, we'll come back upstairs and uh, have some more talks and discussions and, and decide as a church uh, if, we, if there's anything we want to move forward with, if we want more information or what we want to do uh, during these days ahead of us. So just know that that's the plan and wanted to remind you once again about that. And uh, we're so thankful uh, for our ability to be able to talk about these things and uh, decide our future. Do you want to mention uh, one last thing here today? is that uh, we're on a road trip. So we are in a sermon series here today, continuing a sermon series. <laughs> Woo so yes, and so we're uh, going to keep going here today on our road trip uh, excursions. So let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Now, I mentioned this last week, but just to catch up anybody that has been with us, we are going on a road trip, right? And of course, the reason for that is uh, we're going to be doing one in the service because none of us can afford to actually go on a real road trip this year, right, with gas prices. Although I did see I had to go uh, up to Hilliard this uh, yesterday and we were going, and I noticed that the price of gas went from like little, it went down and down and down as I was going around. It was like 385 in one gas station, 389 in one gas station. Then an exit above that, it was 409. And then where we went to Hilliard, it was 429. So I don't know how one city you can have that much disparity in the price of gas, but apparently in Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio, you can. But as we said, gas, gas prices are up. And so we're going to be doing a virtual road trip together as we go across uh, our United States, if you will, and go to some different places. And uh, we're going to do this, of course, together. And I do want to mention that we are in no way going to go in any logical course across the United States. We're going to be jumping around because we have some time travel uh, here today that we're going to be jumping around. So don't worry because we're going to be going to California here today. But the first thing I want to say is when you go on a road trip, we talked about last week how you have to have planning, right? And so we got out the Atlas map and we talked a little bit about it and all those things and kind of our life's journey and making decisions for our life's journey. This week we're talking another crucial aspect of a road trip. And this is something that when I went on my road trip with my buddy Taylor, we were high school students or just recently graduated, right? We just graduated and told our parents we're going across the United States on a road trip to see the national parks and they laughed at us. So we did it and only further motivated to actually do it and we pulled this off, right? So again, we grabbed my buddy, his, uh, his mom's Astro van and we went all the way across the United States. But when we did it, we were planned out all sorts of things, but we forgot about what kind of one important piece and maybe as a teenager, uh, you just don't think about these things because they just kind of happen. And that was, you need food for a journey. Now, we probably didn't think about this because, you know, for 500 bucks, you could go across the United States with Coke and combos at the gas station, right? But, you know, there were occasions where we sat down and ate. But nonetheless, it did occur to us as we go on this trip, we were like, you know, at some point, junk food gets old, right? And you know, as, as a teenager, you know, Taco Bell, you can only go there so many times, right? And so we, that's what we did. But we went across, nonetheless, we made it because, you know, in teenagers, you can be a garbage disposal, eat almost anything, your body doesn't, you know, it puts up with it for a while, right? So we did two weeks of this where we ate as cheap as you possibly can as we went different places. And one of the places we went to was this fine establishment right here, right? Yeah. Now, I gotta, we gotta do a show of hands. This is, this is, this is pastor sermon participation moment. How many of y'all have been to a Taco John's? Okay, you guys seem pretty excited about it, so good for you guys, good for you guys. Yeah. So, of course, now, you know, for those that don't know, of course, my friends always called me John in high school, right? Jonathan was, a, was, was a, the name I was given, and when I went to college, and you know, I changed my name to Jonathan instead of just John, because people always shorten things, and all my high school friends rebelled. And whenever my college friends would be hanging out with my high school friends, and they would call me Jonathan, my high school friends would go, no, 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 no. This is John Man, right? John man, and that was, that was like how you knew who I was. It was just John. Anyway, so we're driving across, and if you don't know this about me, um, me and like Tex-Mex food have like a thing going on, right? Like we have like we're like this. I mean, we we get to we, we get along together. I was born in Texas, and so it's just part of my blood, right? Like just spicy things and goodness. And so of course, when you're driving around town across the United States, and you see an exit, and something on there says Taco John's. It was a no-brainer. Like, we had to get off and go do it, right? And so we saw this, and I don't even remember if we were hungry or not, but we were just like, if I was driving, I'm sure the wheel just went, like, just over into the exit lane, and we got off and went there. And so me and my buddy, with Taylor, were sitting there, 
And of course, by now, we've been on, this is actually towards the end of our road trip. We're coming back and uh, going back home and on our, on our way back. So I think we were like in Nebraska or something like that at this point. And, uh, so we get off, we go to this Taco John's. And the best way I can describe Taco John's, for those of you that haven't had it, it's like if Amish people made Mexican food. <laughs> right? That, that's, that's Taco John's, right? You walk in, and it's like, like somehow, you know, like things that are like basically hash browns or like tater tots are somehow Mexican food, right? It's like something like they just kind of spice it up and things like that. But it was Taco John's, and what I remember about this was we were so hungry. You know when you've been with a friend too long, you start grumbling with each other? And so, you know, we're having that good time where we're, we're you know, sitting there and we're, we've been going on this journey. We've been eating all this junk food. We're both really tired and, and exhausted. We've been sleeping on the floor or campsites and all these things this whole time and all these things. And so we get to Taco John's and we're sitting there and we're just kind of, you know that moment where you're just kind of dazing off. And so I'm dazing off in the distance, thinking in the distance. And I'm eating something and I'm kind of covering my mouth like this. And suddenly I'm like, you know what? I need some salsa with whatever I'm eating. I don't remember, tater tots or whatever. I'm like, I need some salsa. And so I say, I need to get some salsa. And so I get up, go get my salsa, and come back. And my friend's looking at me with daggers in his eyes. And he's like, what did you say to me? <laughs> I go, I need some salsa? He's like, no, you didn't. Say what you said. I go, I needed some salsa. And he goes, no, you didn't. I know what you said. And I go, what did I say? And he goes, you told me you suck. And I go, what? <laughs> and so we have this ongoing joke, even today, where we call each other for even birthdays and stuff. We go, you suck. <laughs> But this is what happens, right? Because you start grumbling when you're hungry, you start getting angry when you're hungry, and you just kind of get at each other when you've been on a journey together and things just kind of wear you down, right? That's part of that. Now, of course, that was one example of our food. The other example of food I would like to share with you comes from this place. And many of you may know this picture, or it's a picture like this, and know exactly where we're going. Who are we, where are we at? Anybody? Sequoia, that's right, I heard it. I don't know who to give credit to because I, I heard it all kind of everywhere. but. This is Sequoia National Park, which is one of my favorite parks. I love Sequoia National Park. And of course, there's this cool tree you know, that's knocked down like this, and they cut it out so you can go. Now, I will tell you, when you're in an astrovan, it's about a 50-50 shot whether you can make it underneath it. But of course, we tried, and we succeeded, luckily. But it was close. We were a little worried we were going to have to call mom and dad and be like, I'm sorry, Mrs. Clark, But uh, as we went and did that. But Sequoia National Park, as you can see there. Now, of course, what it's known for is the redwood trees, right? These famous huge redwood trees. And in fact, this tree right here, you probably know it. What's it called? General Sherman tree. That's right. Some fun little facts about it. It is 275 feet tall. That's almost a football field tall, right? It's at the base of it. It's 36 feet in diameter. And it's as old. They don't know exact date, but it's somewhere between like 700 and 300 BC. That's right. So about like roughly the time when like the kingdom of Israel was fighting for its life with the Babylonians and the Syrians is when this tree was seeded and started growing, right? And of course, it's the largest tree uh, that we know of around the world. It is huge and it is enormous. And going there and standing in front of it is amazing. But my memory of Sequoia is actually not really much of the tree. It's actually of the park rangers. And by park rangers, I mean those black furry animals that make you feel for your life. This picture right here, I call them the park rangers, if you are Camp Sequoia Park Rangers. And so when we went to Sequoia, you know, as we did anywhere, we popped, got the tent, just popped it up, put down the tarp, you know, popped up the tent on top of it, got our sleeping bags, and just went to sleep is what we did and on this trip. And uh, I remember we got to this campsite 
And you get out, there's all these signs everywhere and there's the bear trap things, not trap, but the food trap things for the bears and all that. And there's all these warning signs. And there's pictures that literally look like these bears opened up the top of a car like a can. Like, you know, you open up like a pop can. It literally is the top of the car is ripped open and the bear is inside just grabbing whatever food it wants. And on there it says, do not leave anything in your car, right? Including chapstick, including like perfume, including anything under the sun that you could possibly think of. Don't leave it in. Bubble gum, nothing, because these black bears have become semi-used to humans and they really like our cars especially, right? And what they told us, of course, when you see a black bear, there's certain things you're supposed to do. Now, this is not, just so you know, this is not good advice for grizzly bears or brown bears, right? There's a whole different thing you do with them. But if you see a bear, here's what they said. All right, this can, the rangers even sat us down. They're like, all right, here's what, here's what you're supposed to do. And we go, okay. And so the first thing was this, is you're supposed to look big, right? Pick your kids up if you have kids and all that stuff. Uh, ooh, hold on, I got my things messed up there, but go ahead and click the next one, Brian. Hopefully it comes up with the right one. There we go, there. Look big, right? And you're supposed to yell, yell things like, back bear, get back, oh, you're supposed to be like Tarzan caveman kind of thing, right, going on and be all nice and big and angry. You're supposed to take like pots and pans and bang them together. And so we're laughing, my buddy and I are like, yeah, right, we're gonna see bears. Come on, it's not gonna happen, right? And we're so exhausted, we were just like, we stayed up for the campfire bit a little bit, then we went in, in our tent and, and uh, then all of a sudden we start hearing all night long people banging pots and pears. Bang, 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 bang. Oh, get back, bear, blah, 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 blah. People just uh, yelling and doing all sorts of things. And it's everywhere. I mean, it's like we're under attack by bears all around us. I mean, it's not just our, the fireplace near our campsite. It's like other campsites are yelling this and doing different things. But they also told us, not only that, but if you see a mama and its cubs, then you don't bang the pots or anything. You say, yes, mama bear have what you want and you just get out of the way is what they told us pretty much and definitely don't get in between the mama bear and its cubs. And the final thing they said this is, um, hey, if a bear charges you, don't run, right? Because then they'll think you're prey. And specifically they said what black bears will do is they'll do this thing called a bluff charge Well, they will growl and all those things. They will come straight at you as if they're gonna rip your head off and then the last second they like turn and run the other way, right? And it's just to see what your reaction's gonna be, but they'll do this. Now, I don't know about you, but if a charging bear comes after me, the thought does occur to me, I don't want to stand there and watch what it's going to do, right? <laughs> right? And so, of course, what they tell you is don't run. Whatever you do, don't run, don't run. And they basically go out and they say, hey, they can run basically as fast as a racehorse. You can't climb a tree because they're better climbers than you. Like, bear's going to catch it. There's, there's no sense in running. Don't even try, right? But most of the time, a black bear will not actually charge you and actually get you. He'll actually turn at the last second if he does start charging. Anyways, and I'm looking at my friend, and my friend and I are looking at each other, and the thought occurs to us, you don't actually have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the person next to you, right? I mean, so then we started taking bets on what we were going to do. And if one of us started running, the other one was going to outrun the other one just to get, you know, some type of uh, fairness in the world of what happened. But of course, they're banging pots all night, banging things all night. And finally, everybody kind of goes to sleep. And uh, like I mentioned, we had a tarp down, you know, underneath the tent and all that stuff. And as you're sleeping, all of a sudden you wake up to... And, the, and on the tarp, and I'm thinking like these bears are going to be like, you know, scared of humans to some degree. No, no, no. These bears were like right outside the tent. In fact, you can kind of see from the burning embers, the shadow of the bear on your tent, right? And I was very thankful in that moment. I did not have any food in the actual tent because I knew that if that bear came through, it was, you know, it was fight to the death kind of thing is what was going to happen, right? 
But luckily, of course, you know, I was up all night, but luckily no bear ever came to my tent. But these bears were putting their noses where they shouldn't, if you will, and had come to the point where they weren't that scared of humans, per se. Uh, and, but they did sort of at least not attack us, but they, they were used to kind of being around us and working the system, if you will. And so you can kind of think of in that black tent, the bear coming at you and being places where it shouldn't. Now, that brings us to our story in Exodus here today. Because, of course, in Exodus, here's the story. is The people have just come out of Egypt, the Israelites. Remember, Pharaoh was vicious and mean and enslaved the Israelites. And God comes up, shows up in mighty ways, does all the different miracles and Eventually, finally, the people are able to go and set free. And, of course, then there's the, the Red Sea and how Egypt comes after them and decides they want their slaves back. And then the sea comes in and comes apart and, and just, like, you know, comes apart for the people to walk through, the Israelites, and then falls back in on the Egyptians. And the people are free, and they're on the other side. And you would think they would still be singing praises to the Lord who had delivered them from slavery, except they were like my buddy Taylor and I, where they're sitting at the table and they're getting hungry and they're going, oh, you Right? <laughs> they're sitting there and they start grumbling and complaining, right? And as you heard in our scripture here today, the different grumbling and complaining that they did. Now, it is important as you look at this, there's kind of three things in this statement that I want to just kind of share with you once again. Because you remember what it says that the Israelites said to Aaron and Moses, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, where we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Now, there's a few things in there that are very telling about the human condition, right? I mean, these people had just seen God do amazing things. Things that, like, you and I would just, if we could just be a fly on the wall or just kind of somehow time travel just back to see God doing these things, it would just be amazing to see how God would save God's people. And yet there are three things that they do in this moment and what they're saying that they do. And the first one is this, is they grumble, right? Now, if you don't know this, if you don't have food, you grumble, right? And the people start grumbling because they're getting hungry and all these different things. But grumbling is really one of these things that is, is not seen in Scripture as a good thing at all. In fact, as you go through Scripture, grumbling is really kind of testing the Lord, right? It's really an example of when we just come discontent with our lives to the point where we just complain and we get sarcastic and we do all these different things where we take the goodness of the Lord and we trade it in for instead of being thankful, we trade it in for grumbling. I, never, I remember how this, this, this plays out even in human life. When I was in seminary, I had a professor, uh, and it was kind of during one of my counseling kind of classes, and when in the class, they, he told the class, he said, hey, just so you know, like, as we're talking about different things, in your marriage, do one thing. Like, just, just, try, just trust me on this. Like, I've done too much, so much counseling, all these things. Like, just trust me. Because our world loves sarcasm. And he said these words. He said, don't use sarcasm in your marriage. Just cut it out and don't do it. And we're all like, because now we grew up like this is, you have to understand our age group. Our age group grew up with like South Park on TV, right? I mean, sarcasm is what we do. I mean, that's just what we live. In fact, you could tell your best friends because they make fun of you with sarcasm more than anybody else, right, in the deal. And so we were all floored by this. But he said, you know, truly, this sarcasm has always an element of truth to it. And when you do that to your, your partner, you end up just undercutting the trust and the love that you have together. And it was one of the most interesting things because, you know, as time has gone on, I've seen different marriages and counseled myself, but also seen friends and stuff that just, you know, didn't heed such advice. And not that their marriage fell apart, but their marriage just has these rocky parts in it, right, where they sort of, there's a bitterness and a grudge almost 
that sometimes is there, even when they're still married to each other, and how that can happen. The grumbling itself is not of God. And here's the other thing that they do in this, is they not only grumble, but they misremember. Now, in Scripture, you can't take what they're saying for the light, because even in this culture, you hyperbolize things a lot of times. So remember what they're saying? We were in Egypt, and there were pots of meat. And there was food all that we could eat. Remember what Scripture says at the beginning of Exodus. They were in hard labor, it says, in hard slavery. If there is such a good thing as good slavery, this was not it, because they were crying out to the Lord. They were oppressed, and they were pushed down, and they were crying out to the Lord to save them. And they misremember this as if they sat around meals every single time and food was so plentiful that they just couldn't, so they filled their bellies up and life was so good and they've forgotten that they were in such a situation that they absolutely cried out to the Lord for help and for saving. You know, it's amazing how sometimes we think about those good old days, right? You ever get in that trap where you think about, oh, things were so much better back then when we were doing this or this. And sometimes when we do that, we forget what God's done in our life. That God actually freed us from whatever we were doing back in those days. I've seen so many times in my life now of, of adults that have children, you know, and uh, they go back to their college days within their marriage. It ends up destroying their marriage or destroying their relationship with their kids where they go back to college days and are just partying on the weekends like crazy all the time. And when you sit down and try to have a conversation with them, they'll say these things like, well, I've done my work, I've done my good, it's time for me time, right? It's time for, time for me to do things that I want to do. And you just watch their life continually get destroyed because God wants us to always move forward and not backwards. And so one of the things we can do is always continue on the path that God sets us on. And don't misremember the old, look into the new. The third thing that they do, of course, is very blatant. They blame the leaders. And they come at Moses and Aaron, don't they? I mean, they don't mess around. They're coming at Moses and Aaron because they're hungry and all these different things. And when they come at Moses and Aaron, you know, you forget how destructive this can be, right? Because a lot of times when we go after our leaders and put the blame on them, in this case, not rightly so, right? They're just following God's lead and doing what God's doing and God's telling them to. And so many times in our leaders, when we just pull down and pull down and pull down, eventually there's no leadership, right? I mean, if they take Moses and Aaron out, who is leading them, right? And yet they continue to continue to pull down. I've seen this, unfortunately, I've seen this very clear, uh, even in today's world, in so many ways, but especially within the United Methodist Church, specifically even in West Ohio, uh, you may not know this, but at so many of my pastor meetings that I go to, there'll be a question and answer session at some point, and the question and answer session, one of the questions will be framed something like this. It'll be something like these, just kind of a generic term for all the different things we do, but it'll be something like, now how do we, as pastors, supposed to trust the bishop in the cabinet with what they're doing when they haven't proven successful in the past or proven you know, good intentions in the past or whatever words they put with it. And I'm always amazed that in the room, you get this kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You almost like people almost start clapping when the question's asked, right? And, and it always breaks my heart for a number of reasons. One, because I don't think a lot of the times the question's fair in the first place. I think it's a, a pretty loaded question in the first place. But also it's this idea that we live in a culture right now that tears down leadership. And now, certainly, there are things that leaders do that need to be held accountable. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, when you don't have a leader, bad things happen, right? And at the same time, when you look at your leaders, the amount of pressure that's put on them sometimes is tremendous and hard. 
And I, you know, I'm Bishop, I doubt you're watching this, but if you ever are, I just want to thank you because, you know, throughout the years that I've been in West Ohio, I've seen you work in tremendous integrity, and I've seen you work with tremendous insight, and I always assume that what you're doing is, is loving to another. I just want to thank you for that. And truly, sometimes that leadership part in our world is torn down so much that we end up just spinning wheels around and around. Now, of course, God provides and does something. God actually answers the Israelites. Now, he might have just smote them there and said, did you not see the 10 things I did for you in Egypt? Smite, but he doesn't. He does some amazing things here. He not only remember, he does these three things, and I'll just name them off real quick. So the first thing that he does is he brings the manna and the quail, and the people eat, right? The quail are sent in the night. They now have meat for their pots, if you will. And then they're given this thing called manna, which all of a sudden is this kind of dew-like thing that goes in the morning, and it becomes kind of dries out. And it becomes this flaky kind of white thing like Corey Anderson, it's, see it says, almost like a wafer, if you will. And so the people are able to gather this up and to do different things. But in it, there's interesting things. For instance, they're told that they have to pick it up daily. They can't just grab a bunch and save it for the whole week. In fact, some of the people do this anyways, even though they're told not to, and it becomes like maggots. And it teaches us that on that journey, on that road trip, you can't just build up a bunch and then forget God. You've got to daily rely on God, and God was trying to teach them that. He was also teaching them that on, there was one day, though, they were supposed to actually pick up twice as much as they normally do because of the Sabbath day. And for people who had been in slavery for hundreds of years, God said, nope, you're going to have a day. You're not going to work. You're not going to do anything. You're going to sit there and enjoy rest, relaxation, and just being in the presence of God and your family and these things. It was a world-changing moment. It was something no one had ever really tried before at the time. And God said, no, you're going to be known as my people who take the Sabbath and rest. And even today, throughout Scripture, there's still supposed to be tra- a Sabbath. So even as Christians, we're still supposed to take that day and rest and do this. Now, I know we normally think of Sundays, but the actually original day is not Sunday. You may not know this. So uh, the original day is actually on Saturday. It's the last day of the week, right? It was actually the seventh day of creation. And on the Sabbath, it's technically the, how the Hebrews and, and the Israelites thought about this is they didn't actually start the day in the morning. The day actually started at sunset. So the actual true Sabbath, if you will, is actually Friday night at sunset through Saturday night at sunset. So maybe if you're like me, where like Sundays just get crazy, right? <laughs> or maybe just your weekend is just a, is crazy and Sundays are spent trying to prepare for Monday and your work week. Guess what? You know, try to take a Sabbath and see what it does to your life. And a lot of us can do a Friday night to almost a Saturday night kind of thing because a lot of times we use Saturday as our kind of day of recreation and things anyways. But try it. See what it changes your life if you just take time to rest and have that day dedicated to rest in the Lord. And the final thing I'll say is this, is that God wanted them to earn trust for the people. And that Moses and Aaron definitely see God come through in them when they're being blamed for all these things. But God is always trying to build our trust in him. And also trust with each other. One of the things I think that's kind of undermining our whole world right now is the lack of trust. A lot of times we've earned it, but at the same time, as I read books on community, I have a, a professor in, in college or seminary that was Dr. Pohl, Christina Pohl, wonderful writer, and she, wrote, she really focuses on two things, hospitality and community. And in her writing, she always writes about how a community, if you're gonna have it, one of the fundamental things that if you don't have it, you do not have community, is trust. And so we really need to be a people who earn trust. We need to follow through with our promises. We need to keep what we say we're gonna do. 
And furthermore, we also need to trust and learn how to trust in each other again. And when trust is given to us, we need to do the right thing with it. One of my, uh, one of my favorite people when I was first uh, out of seminary and I was learning from was um, Andy Stanley. And specifically, not as necessarily his messages of Christianity and, and doing sermons, but actually his leadership podcast. He had a leadership podcast. And out of all the things I've ever gotten from Andy Stanley, this was the biggest one that I really took from him. And he was basically saying this thing is that, you know what? In your workplace, in any workplace, you can have a, a culture of trust or you can have a culture of untrust. And he's basically making the point, if you're in a culture of trust, it is an amazing place. And if you're in a culture of untrust, it is a miserable place. Place. And he gives the example of if someone's late to work or isn't there on a meeting or something like that, there's a knowledge gap. And you can tell how much you trust a person by what you put in a knowledge gap, right? You don't know why they weren't there, right? But so many times people will put in, oh, they're lazy. Oh, they're late. Oh, they wanted to binge watch their TV show and couldn't get there in time. <laughs> or do you actually insert that with other things like, oh, maybe there actually is a legitimate excuse why they're not here. Or maybe they've been sent to go get the coffee for everybody. Or maybe... And he talks about how this element of trust in each other, and that if you create a culture of trust, the benefits that it reaps in that community down the line are far worth it. You do, of course, have to look out when people take advantage of your trust, but at the same time, you cannot be a community. You cannot, and I would say even a church, right, without trust in each other. And so we need to build always a community of trust Otherwise, we resort to grumbling. Now, I know you're hungry because I've been talking about food, right? So, no Bob Evans today. Go to Taco John's. Let's pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your love and thank you so much for your word. God, it challenges us in so many different ways and so many different angles. And God, we can never ultimately live up on our own strength to what you've called us to do. But praise you, Lord, for you always give us the Holy Spirit living inside us that, God, we don't have to be a people washed and just drifting on the shore of what our world tells us, but, God, that you give us the strength to continue to swim upstream, to build places and communities and churches, Lord, that truly are the best places on this earth. Lord, help us to always, again, trust in you, trust in each other, to be provided for, to take our Sabbath, to do those things you've called us to do. And so, God, that if we do these things, we know that it will keep us from eventually turning to what the Israelites did. For, God, we would misremember your good works, and we'd long to go back into sin and to bondage and to slavery. God, free us for joyful obedience. We love you, Lord. Amen.